passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The connection between you and your therapist matters. That's why Alma focuses on helping you find the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search by what you want to focus on, like anxiety, relationships, or big life transitions. You can also specify preferences around gender, race, faith, and more to help you find someone who's more likely to understand where you're coming from. Alma also makes it easy for therapists to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of providers in their directory accept insurance for sessions, so you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash not just anyone to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash not just anyone. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And with us today, the newest analyst for CBS Sports' NFL coverage, a longtime NFL quarterback, still technically current NFL quarterback. I want to ask about that in a second, Matt Ryan. Matt, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Is that the first time you've been introduced as a CBS Sports analyst? Are we your first interview? Yeah, it is. Look at us. Let's go. Sounds a little weird. Yeah, but uh, sounds good. Yeah, so you um, you specifically did not retire to do this. Um, you are joining, you know, CBS doing the, the TV stuff. Um, still waiting on to see if there's another opportunity. But why why was now the right time to potentially p- pursue television, and what could also pull you back to the football field? Well, I think the the opportunity that CBS uh, is giving me to kind of do a little bit of everything uh, to me it seemed like. It seemed like too good of an opportunity to pass up. Um, it gives me a chance really to find out, you know, number one, what I'm okay at, what I'm decent at, and, and number two, what I'm interested in, whether that be being in the studio or calling games. Uh, so the unique kind of uh, setup of, of um, the opportunity intrigued me. Uh, the people, you know, that, that, that I have the opportunity to learn from while I'm up there, uh, whether it be in New York or whether it be calling games, um, it, it just it, all of the stars aligned for it. Um, and at the same time, you know, I've, I've learned throughout my NFL career that uh, a lot of crazy things can happen during the season, right? A lot, a lot of weird <laughs> things can go on. And so, uh, you know, keeping options available and, and just being prudent with that, I thought was the right, you know, way to go. And, and uh, we'll see how it shakes out um, in terms of the football side of it. But I'm excited uh, to start working with folks at CBS and, and to start diving into to this next chapter. Well, first off, I think you're going to be excellent at it because you're such a bright guy. But is this something that you wanted to do? And like, did you have like a, an audition? Did you do any prep for it? Or was it just like, hey, I'm Matt Ryan. I'm super articulate. Like, this will work out. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little more complicated than that. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. That's why you're here yeah. by that analysis, man. <laughs> no, it, it was, I had always kind of thought about it. Um, you know, but I think when when you're playing quarterback in the NFL, um, you, you, you know, it's, it's somewhere way in the back. Mm-hmm. You know, you're so focused on, on what you're doing. Uh, and I, I had the opportunity after after the season to go up and do some studio work with CBS during the playoffs. And I, it intrigued me. You know, it really did. I think it started to scratch that itch um, and, and I found somewhere deep in the back of the brain, you know, this could be something that I'd be interested in, you know, moving forward. But it's, to me, it's, 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 it's about the people. And so, you know, getting to know the people behind the scenes, starting to meet with them, you know, at different points of the off season and 
really talking about what it could look like moving forward and uh, the, the, the positions that they were looking for, the, the things that they thought I could help with, the things I was interested in, the things that I want to do. I think, um, you know, it, it all kind of just aligned. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for this opportunity uh, and, and really now starting to get to work, you know, of, of trying to figure out uh, how to best do this moving forward. I always find it interesting, especially for quarterbacks going into the media world, because you guys spend so much time studying, so much time preparing, and you're also very secretive as someone who used to be a beat reporter and we try to get information <laughs> out of whether it was Kirk Cousins or some of the other guys that I covered. Like occasionally they give you a nugget, but typically it was it was after the game and it's like, all right, here's what I saw. Here's what we, we were looking at. You don't, you don't get the good stuff during the week. How, how does that that preparation change now that you're going to be the whole like the whole reason you're preparing is to share the information with people? It's very different, you know. It, it's very different. It's, it's not about kind of hiding uh, all that 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 uh, you're doing during the week. It's now trying to look at what other people are doing and explain the whys. You know, tell the story of what they're trying to accomplish, how they're trying to accomplish, what certain players they're trying to uh, either use or expose or take advantage of. Um, but that part. I always really love that part of it, right? Like during the week, getting prepared, having an, an understanding of what we were trying to attack, how we were going to do it. Um, and then, you know, pulling it all together, trying to piece our pieces into that. Um, to me, that was, you know, that was such, such a part of, of, of my day to day and, and such a part of, of the enjoyment that I got out of, of, of playing that position. Um, that I think it's it's a natural move to, to kind of keep stay in that flow, uh, stay in that flow state of, of watching film and uh, trying to break down what teams are doing. So uh, I've got to work on trying to articulate it. You know, I think I've always said as a quarterback to other players, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you can draw on the board. I care what you do. Uh, and now it has changed. Now, now it really matters what I can say and how I can explain it and and less about what I can do. And, and uh, that part of it is, is going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, I was only with you for a year, but I always felt like you had a really good <clears throat> knack for that. You know, like, you know, new guys coming into the system, kind of bringing them along. And I feel like it's going to be really similar. And a couple of times while you've been talking, you said it, you know, this opportunity aligns with things that you want to do. You know, of the things that they've kind of positioned for you, what are the things that you're most excited about doing? Well, I think... You know, there's a definite interest in, in calling games sure. and, you know, having the opportunity to do that next year, I think, will be a great challenge. Uh, there's so many moving parts that, yeah. that go on kind of behind the scenes um, that, that that part intrigues me. The pace at which it goes, I really like. Yeah. You know, I, I've always liked that idea of you prepare all week and then you get this three hour window to go show whether that preparation was worth it or not. And so I, 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 I like that idea of it. Uh, but the studio side of it is also interesting to me too, because um, having gone up and done it uh, and then, you know, watching games while they're going on, having to commentate about what, what you see from the first half, what adjustments you might see, breaking down plays, and sometimes, you know, trying to educate, you know, fans on, on the why of, of certain play calls or, or decisions that people are making. Uh, I really like that part too. You know, yeah. uh, that, that, that strategy side of it, the game planning side of it has always been something that uh, has fascinated me. So um, the ability to do both this first year uh, cool. and, and really get a feel um, for, you know, what, what makes sense uh, long-term. Um, I, I just, I feel lucky. You know, I, I feel a bit like a kid going to college where I have no idea what my major is going to be, but I get to take a bunch of those courses at the beginning, figure out what I like, and then go from there. And uh, luckily, I'm a lot more mature than I was when I was 18, so I hopefully will make a much better decision than I did in college. But uh, finally, my communications degree from Boston College is paying off. I was going to say, what's, what, this, was the, uh, what was the ultimate season. decision? Communications major, huh? Yeah, that's right. That, so I, I'm saying that I started in the business school uh, the CSOM, Carroll School of Management. And I was uh, the starting quarterback as a redshirt sophomore. So I was in my junior year. And I was already into like the major part of it. And I took this course, Business Applied Statistics, during the football season. About halfway through it, I was like, this is not for me. I, I am not, you know, I don't think I can do this. And I switched over to uh, 
the communication school and, and finished with a degree in communications. And in all honesty, it couldn't have worked out better, you know, making that switch for what I had to do in the NFL, being, you know, in front of the camera so much. And now, you know, sliding into to this portion of it, um, hopefully I can draw back on some of the, the things that I learned there at BC and, 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 you know, make my parents happy that, you know, that degree wasn't wasted. Yeah, I don't think uh, Logan. Ten years for you, Matt. Would you fifteen or so years? Yeah. Yeah. Any any applied statistics in your NFL career? No, no, no. no. I've just, <laughs> no. Here's here's the thing. I've been I've been busting down people for for relying too heavily on statistics for fifteen years. Like, don't give me this BS <laughs> with the statistics. Show me the results. Do we win? Yeah. Do we lose? Who cares about the stats? That's yeah. funny. All right. So, uh, Matt, I want to talk a little ball with you. Uh, and then I, I got one question and I want to get the hell out the way because, uh, well, I am very anti clickbait. I know what the people want and they want you and Logan to talk ball. So I'm going to ask my one question. I'm going to get out the way for a few minutes and let you guys talk ball. But you obviously faced Ron Rivera twice a year uh, for all those years that you were in Atlanta and he was in Carolina and prepared for what was really his defense. Although he was the head coach, he was very hands on in Carolina. That is not how he has approached things here. And you did face this team last year with the Colts, Sam Ellinger obviously started that game, but you were in all the meetings and, and helping Sam prepare. What differences do you see from the defense that Rivera used to run in Carolina compared to the one that Jack Del Rio is essentially running under him here in D.C.? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I played against Ron uh, so often in Carolina. And, I mean, there were some incredible defenses. Uh, great players, Luke Keekley, uh, you know, comes to mind of just – you know, guy in the middle that, that kind of made it go for them. Um, and then, you know, going against Jack all those years too, whether it was, you know, in Denver or uh, in Oakland or now Vegas, um, you know, I, I saw a lot of those guys during my career. I think both of them have evolved. Uh, you know, I think the game's different. There's, there's no question about that from when I first got into the league in 2008 uh, to where it is now and how offenses are, are trying to attack defenses is much different. And I think you've seen both of these guys evolve. Uh, they're playing a lot more single high safety than, than what we saw when they were in Carolina. I mean, you know, my experience of, of going against those Carolina defenses was they were playing a cover four shell, trying to keep things in front, but be aggressive on the outside. And when we played Washington last year, there was a little bit of that, but but for the most part, they were a single safety outfit and, and playing man-to-man coverage and playing three deep zone. Um, so they're they're a little bit different, but the thing that you're always going to have with those two coaches is they're going to be sound in run fits. Um, they're they're it, it starts and ends there, um, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, and so whether it's in their blitz packages, whether it's in their base, you know, four down front stuff. They're, they're going to be sound fitting the run. And I think they've always done a nice job of that. Um, I thought they were a really good defense last year. As we were preparing for them, you know, and, and getting ready to go, they had a lot of pieces, you know, a lot, a lot of different guys that, that were out there making plays and, and they were playing aggressive. And, you know, they kept, they kept the team in it the, the day we played them with the Colts and, and gave, you know, gave uh, – Heineke a chance there at the end and he comes up with this, you know, miracle play <laughs> at the end of the game. But I like what their defense is doing. Um, I've always, you know, appreciated Ron as a head coach. I think he's a good man. Uh, he's tough to go against. Um, had to go, you know, against him, you know, too often, but they're going to be sound and, and they're going to continue to be sound for as long as he's there. Yeah, something that I think is interesting, you mentioned like this transition to single high and like this is a little bit of a football nerdy question. And with that single high, there's been a lot of like this cover three match, which kind of gets bastardized into like this cover six. And like it's really, really hard to tell what defenses are in oftentimes. And I just wanted was wanted to know, like, how does that affect you as a quarterback? Because you're kind of, you know, teams are moving away from this like, oh, we're in quarters and here are the four segments and here's cover two and here's cover three. And it's it's becoming much more harder to diagnose because they're kind of in this in between with this match principle. So just like what does that what challenges does that face and how do you prepare for that? Yeah, I wish we could go back. You know, I wish we could go back to you knew exactly what you were looking at. You know, here's cover four. I'm throwing this post. Don't yeah. worry about it. You know, let, let it fly. Um, but you're right. I, I think the league has shifted to, to a lot more hybrid coverages. And, and you talk about that cover six and that cover three, you know, that three match. 
depending on where the high safety is, you really can't tell. It looks the, the same, man. You it know, looks the same. There's there's a lot of difficulty in determining whether or not that guy's playing middle field or whether he's cheating to a side or whether it's truly a half to that boundary side. And so um, it's it's difficult. Um, I always go back to it probably shifted for me, you know, year six, year seven, where you started to see a lot more of, of these combination coverages where it was maybe a little bit of man over here, maybe a little bit of zone on this side. There were different principles within that. And it really became about reading spots. Oh, and, sure. and Logan, you can go back to this of, of having played for Kyle uh, Shanahan. You know, one of the things that changed for me when he came in was, hey, let's have a good idea of what they're doing in the back end, you know, but but let's not obsess over it. You know, right. let's, let's read spots. Let's understand if we think it's split safety, we're going to start on this side, but we're going to work our progression. If yeah. we think it's single high, we're going to start over here. And then we would always have the caveat of if I knew nothing, if I have zero idea what they're in, because there's, if you're being real, there's, there's, there's times where that's the case. I'm not really sure. If <laughs> no, this hell yeah. I'm not really sure if there's three buzz. I'm not really sure, you know, where they're at. So I would always have the caveat in there. Hey, what's my progression if I know nothing? Yeah. What if I, if I have zero idea what's my progression? And then you really start to read spots. And um, I think the more you get those those combination coverages, the more you see uh, kind of amoeba shells yeah. in the back end the more it's about starting in spots, trusting your progressions. If it's not there, check the ball down or run. And can you elaborate that, like reading spots? Because I think a lot of people say, oh, I'm reading, you know, I'm reading the corner, I'm reading here. But like with Kyle, you're just like you are, you're just, you're reading, you're attacking like an area of the field, right? And so could you just kind of go into that process a little bit more and why that helps you out in terms of not having to know exactly what's happening? Yeah, I think, I, I think it's so huge. They ask so much of, of you as a quarterback to turn your back, right? To turn your back and show that run. Whether it's they're doing more of it from the gun now than than when I uh, was playing for Kyle, but right. Even still, you're shrinking. You're turning your back, and so you don't really have the opportunity to diagnose the post snap. You know, right. so it's it's a lot of 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 your work has to be done pre snap, and then you have to trust it. The thing I think they do a great job of, uh, and when I say seeing spots, you know, we might be attacking. Two yards outside the hash. Right. Yes. Or two yards or four to six yards inside the numbers. And so it gives you this, this mental um, just picture of as soon as I snap my back, I know exactly where my eyes need to go. And then you've got to assess whether it's muddy or it's not. And, and know, we would talk about reading with your feet all the time. And know that if that picture two yards outside the hash or four yards from the number is muddy on my first hitch, it's on to whoever is second in right. the progression. If it's muddy on the second hitch, balls out to the check down or you're running. Right. And, and I think that's being very specific with the landmarks that you're trying to attack, uh, I, I think is important in the league right now. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Just those like the, the landmarks and the, and the zones. And the other thing that I think Kyle, and you could speak to this way better than I could, is did a great job of is, I don't wanna say giving the quarterback like easy throws, like easy opportunities, off of the play action. And that was such a big feature of kind of saying like, hey, I'm not going to ask you to kind of get back there and be Mozart for 50 snaps. I'm going to give you five keepers. I'm going to give you 10 play pass. I'm going to give you five quick game. How important is that for you as a quarterback to kind of say, I don't have to be back here, you know, like sometimes you were in Indy just wheeling and dealing for 50 snaps, which is pretty tough ball. Yeah, it, I mean – it's hard to consistently win that way yeah. where, where you're dropping back, where you're asking your offensive line to protect drop back passing 50, 55 times in a game. It, you know, you might be able to do it a handful of times, but week in and week out, the, the D lines are, are too good. I remember having a meeting with Kyle. This is probably halfway through my first season with him. Yeah. And he said, listen, Matt, he said, my job is first and second down. <laughs> he said, my job is to get guys open for you on first and second down whether it's keepers, whether it's quick game, whether it's play action pass, whatever it is, that's my responsibility. He's like, where I need you to come to life is on third down and in the red area. Mm. And, and really, you know, as you see the teams that he's been a part of, they do such a good job of creating explosives on first and second down. And like you said, they've got guys running open. Yeah. You know, they, they get guys open. Um, but for them to be successful – 
you've got to be able to convert those third downs that you need to, and then you've got to be able to make plays in the red area. And I always thought that freed me up as a player. I was like, all right, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get 15 pass attempts a game where guys are gonna be open or you're gonna check it down and it's all good. And then there's gonna be another 15 that you really got to go make a play. You know, right. you got to fit one in there, or, you, or if you got to find a way to get it done. And um, I, I really think, you know, he does he does such a great job with that. And sorry, I got one more question, Craig. Uh, the, you know, this idea, you know, Kyle is he's, he's a. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe him. He's a tough he's a tough he's got a high standard let's say that he's got a high standard you also have a high standard you also have a very strong opinion um how was that relationship and how did that how did that improve like make you better how did the fact that he was like i have a very strong perspective of this offense basically say like i believe this should be in even if it makes you uncomfortable how did that elevate the offense how did that elevate you and what was that relationship like uh, you, you, uh, finding words. Uh, I know I'm in this business now, but finding words is difficult. I think that because you, because you, right one, now, I can tell you're kind of you're kind of doing this politician thing. Sometimes you just gotta let it rip, man. Just let yeah, it just rip. let it go. No, number one, I'll say this. Number one, the thing I always appreciated about him is you knew exactly where you stood. Mm. What you know, there, there was no gray area. You know, there, there was zero gray area of, of how he felt. And um, I always appreciated that. As a player, you want honest feedback. Yeah. All, all I want is is for you to put me in a position to be successful, and I want to play my best. Um, I think that I, I, I think that he pushed me to get better. He pushed me outside of my comfort zone. Mm. You know, there was there was a lot of stuff early on. I was like, hey, I haven't really done that. You know, in, in my career, I haven't I haven't you know specialized in this. But we've done more of this. And he goes, I don't care, Matt. You can. He's like, I don't care what you've done. I know what you can do and, and push me to get better. And, and I really, you know, I, I appreciate him for that. As far as our relationship, it was really cool because the first year we were together, it was like, we we're both kind of feeling each other out. We're kind of being nice to each other or whatever. And then we had this kind of meeting in the off season uh, between my first and second year with them. And, and we came to the agreement that we both just had to let it out. You know, like if we need to have these back and forth, go at each other, whatever. So we would have the meetings up in the, you know, offensive coordinator spot in the in the second floor of Flowery Branch where he'd be just on my ass, you know, get, getting after me. And I'd be going back at him and he'd call me on the ride home. So like I would be leaving. I'd be like, man, that was that was intense. You know, uh, hopefully it's all good tomorrow. And then he'd call me on the ride home and he'd be like, dude, that was awesome. Exactly what we needed. We're like in a great spot for install tomorrow. And I'm like, all right, we're good. So uh, we, it turned into, you know, a really good, really great relationship. I, I enjoyed playing for him. But we were both headstrong, you know, and, and, and both uh, had great belief in what we were doing. And I, I really think we both pushed each other to, to be the best versions of ourselves. Love it. Uh, all right. So. We've gotten to some of the stories that I was hoping we'd get to, uh, but I always love to wrap these interviews with former Logan Paulson teammates with an exchange of stories. So, Logan, I need your best Matt story. Matt, I need your best Logan story. I don't care who goes first. Logan, you muted yourself. That's that's the one way Sorry. you can fail at this. Matt, there I we failed. go. There, I'm back. So I will say, like Matt, playing for Matt was fantastic like uh, the highest compliment i can give another professional football player should say he was like the consummate pro always prepared always knew exactly what was doing and i was like and i thought i was that way you know i thought i was really dialed in and i remember the first and so like there's a lot of very positive stories about matt like him getting guys lined up him coaching up him and i remember we were doing a walkthrough and we had just put in all of our code words for apache which is like 25 words and, and there, i don't remember exactly how we did it but it was like there was like a formational word and there was a play word. So it was a little bit different than other places I've been. Right. And I was like, OK. And I remember going up to him because I was studying and we had just got the install and I was really pouring over. And I go, hey, Matt, like we were just done the first play. It's like, hey, Matt, can you just be a little bit more deliberate just for today, just for the walkthrough? And Matt looks at me and I remember Austin Hooper was standing right there and he goes, that you match my speed. And then we just went right <laughs> to the walkthrough. And I was like, all right, I better be dialed in. And I was like, uh, but it was like, but that's how, that's how he was, man. And like, I respected the out of that because like, that was something that that was his standard. He wasn't going to compromise his standard for anything. And like that made the offense better. So I always, I always think back on that story and just being like, oh, 
like let's make, <laughs> let's, I better remember all those Rolodex words. Sorry for all the profanity there. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nick, sorry. You now have to edit uh, a bunch, but good story. Good job, Logan. Uh, Matt, Dude, you that's your, funny. your favorite so, Logan look, Paulson look, story. I always laugh because I, I, I feel like people are always like, Matt, you know, like you're the nicest guy. Like, you know, what's it like playing football? I'm like, I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think you know me that well. Um, but, no, but you it, were always really, but the, that's the thing. You, you were always nice. Like I remember you'd say, and you'd play ping pong in the locker room. And like, you were very, d- despite who you were, you're were always very accessible and approachable. But when it was like, let's be ready to go. It was like, let's be ready to go. And that was, that's totally reasonable. I think so. You know, I, that's why I love Logan. I agree with you. I, I to me, it wasn't too hard. I always <laughs> felt like, listen, have fun do all you got to do, but when it's time to work, it's time to work. And, you know, let's not waste any of that time. I think my favorite Logan story is, well, first of all, I got to say, he's a consummate pro. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That compliment, you know, probably gets thrown around a little too much, but like, I agree with him. There's, there's certain guys that you play with that just do everything right. Uh, From taking care of their body to, to the training, to how they approach walkthroughs, how they approach meetings. Um, you know, they, they just, they just do it right. And, and Logan was that guy. And he was always one of the guys for me, it was like, you don't have to worry about, you know, as a quarterback, you, you've got to, you've got to have a great idea of the guys that you're playing with and, and, and like, all right, he might not have had it the first walkthrough for our code words on, on our no huddle, <laughs> but like by day three, he's going to be fine, you know, but, there are certain guys that doesn't matter how many walkthroughs you do, they're not going to know it. And so, you know, you, you've got to just continue to work with those guys. But I always appreciated that. It, was, it took a load off my plate uh, playing with them. But my favorite story is, I think we were playing Cincinnati. Was it Cincinnati? That's not, it depends on the story, but I, maybe we were playing Cincinnati. So, so I, Logan catches this touchdown. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that play. was Cincinnati. Yep. It was Cincinnati. So we put in this play and <laughs> – it was like I think we called it Hoss Juke or something like yeah. that. I can't remember what we what, what we called it in that offense, but um, Logan's on a scene, right? So he's our vertical threat, taking the top off the defense, digging, digging out, like, guys. We're talking in the week. I don't think we ever said it in the install with those guys, but they're like, "Listen, Logan's not even in the progression. He's taking the top off this thing. We're trying to work this little option route down." And they bust this coverage, Bad. and I mean, he is screaming wide open. I wasn't even I wasn't even supposed to be on the play. They were supposed to sub somebody else in because I thought I was too slow to run this route. (laughs) Just for the context here for everybody. So he's screaming, screaming wide open. And I'm like, Matt, throw it at his back shoulder. You might hit him in stride. You might hit him in stride if you try and back shoulder him. Threw it right at him. He catches it. It was an awesome touchdown. Uh, just the celebration afterwards was was so much fun. For me. It was always fun celebrating the touchdowns with the guys that didn't score them all the time. You know, like take that Julio Jones. (laughs) Yeah. And and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm saying that, but like your role for us was you you did the dirty work. And and when you see guys that do the dirty work, get rewarded for it. uh, That was really cool. Something I'll never forget. Um, Caveman. Caveman was in there in the end zone celebrating. It was awesome. And that was back when I was about 280, and it was running was tough at that point, boys. So <laughs> be nice, nice to get a bone like that. Yeah, for sure. I love it. All right, well, you can catch Matt this season on CBS, whether it's in the booth calling games in studio uh, with the guys up in New York. Matt, this was great. Hopefully, we can do it again. Uh, appreciate the the time, and welcome to the media. Welcome to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, fellas. I appreciate it. Anytime. I'd love to come on. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. 
Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Phenomenal stuff there from Matt Ryan. Uh, lots of editing for our producer, Nick. Thanks to Logan, but, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. A lot of bleeps, a lot of bleeps and blurps, but that's okay. Matt's an excellent guy, man. I'm really excited for him. That's going to be a really cool opportunity. Got a ton of great insight. I remember, I didn't say this on the show, but I remember he'd come in with Matt Schaub on, uh, what was that, Monday? No, so Tuesday after the game and uh, when everyone's kind of on their off day and they would do their own game plan prep. And being there like all day, just prepping. And uh, the two of them kind of working in tandem, kind of one would do third down, one would do red zone, one would do first and second down. Um, it was it was pretty impressive. So his preparation is going to be amazing. He's going to have awesome insights. So really, I can't wait to hear what he's got because he's going to do an awesome job. So Yeah, I, and actually the commander's schedule this year obviously came out, what, a week ago. There's a lot more CBS games. There's a, def, a definitive chance that we get some Matt Ryan uh commentary on a game this year um just because the way the this is all super nerdy like inside baseball stuff but like <laughs> the way the broad the way the broadcast deals work this year there's less ties of nfc to fox and afc to cbs there's still some but there's a like i want to say almost half the commander's games are on cbs oh, this really? year, so um there's definitely a chance that we would i mean obviously we can we can have matt on uh whenever whenever uh, he's able to do it. It would take him every week if we could. Right. Uh, but you know, whether he's doing studio work and the games on CBS or whether he's calling a game, we'll definitely have him back during the season, if not before. Yeah. Um, so that was really great. Any other things from what he, either the substance of what he said or just Matt Ryan's stuff that we want to tack on before uh, our, our second part of our podcast today is going to be an interview I did yesterday with John Kime. Tell you more about that in a second. But anything else from just Matt? I hope he does. I hope he's calling games. I really think that's like you know I know he's trying to figure out what he wants to do, but like his insight and the way. He he sees the game is so unique and I think he's got like a very uh kind of pithy delivery which will be good kind of like I think I think he'll have some of that robo insight but be able to mm -hmm. kind of get it out a little bit more consistently and I, I think he'd be excellent at it obviously he's got to figure out what he wants to do but if, if that happens I'll be really excited yeah, as will I. I, th I think that's 100% correct. The the speed at which a quarterback can see the game because that, that's the thing is like I don't think people realize is like I can watch a game on film, rewind it six times and yeah, kind of figure yeah. out what the coverage is and that kind of stuff. But if I'm watching the game from a broadcast booth, the ability to know where to look and what to look for instantaneously. And also some of that comes with the ability based off down distance situation, coverage personnel to, to have some of that pre-snap insight. Yeah. I don't have that. 
I didn't play yeah. in the NFL. Like just because you watch tape and I'm not saying that there's not people that do a great job based off of watching tape, but the ability to do that in real time is a completely different animal, as you well know, from playing and now um, starting to, to call some games. And obviously you'll be doing the, the pregame or the preseason for the commanders this year from the sideline. Yeah. Um, but like that kind of insight is just a different level. And someone like Matt, who's been doing it from under center for all these years, would be so phenomenal at it. So I'm very, very excited to uh, to see him do that. Yeah, and I think the other interesting thing, you know, to your point about the quarterback seeing it in real time, I think that's that's true. Because, like, you, you know, I was used to seeing it with my hand in the ground, kind of a very specific picture. They see the whole thing, and it's and it's a it's a skill. And he's got 15 years of data accumulated in that area. So I think he's going to be very good at it. And the other thing, you know, you said anything interesting stick out. I think the interesting thing was the throwing the spots thing. Yeah, interesting. like I've always thought about that and I always kind of intuited that. But to hear him articulate that was was really, really compelling, I thought. And, you know, just shows you like how complicated defenses are, you know, because like there isn't a necessity to know exactly what's going on. If that spot of the field is open, you can just make the throw. So um, that was super interesting and, and a great insight by him for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely want to see if we can get like some offensive coaches or other other folks on to talk about that because that is it's super in-depth but it's so fascinating because we spend yeah. so much time trying to figure out was it cover two was it cover four cover six cover three cover one is it man is it zone and sometimes it's just really hard to tell on tape yeah. but what he tells you is it doesn't really matter like in certain situations yeah. yeah in certain right in, in certain situations it's just like is the guy that the defender that I'm, I'm reading in this specific spot in the spot that I'm reading, or is he out of the picture? And if he's out of the picture, I can make the throw. If he's in the picture, I got to get on to the next thing. And the way it's timed with the footwork and everything, that was really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And it's, again, like it, it's just one of those things like where that, that's where the coaching comes in. It's like, Hey, these are our best things versus these coverages. The quarterback doesn't need to know exactly what they're in. And we can just say, attack these spots We'll, we'll decide the route concepts for to beat the coverages and we'll go from there, which I think is really compelling. So that was awesome. Awesome insight. And, you know, just an awesome. I also insight. love that. He's like, we had a plan if I didn't have a clue, like that's, yes, that's really like different than anything else I've ever heard. It's always yeah. like, Oh, we got, I just, you know, I couldn't figure it out. It's like, okay, well then what, yeah. you know, you're, and sometimes the plan is like run, yeah. but you know, having a plan for when things go wrong, considering how, frequently things go wrong in the NFL because defenses are really good. Like that's, you should start to unlock of why that guy was so good and why a coach like Kyle, who's the one who kind of gave him that idea is, is so good. And also those coaching points, because they do so much play action in that offense, I think is also interesting because you're not going to yeah. be able to know exactly what the coverage is. So it's like, mm -hmm. there's the landmark. There's the spot. Is it open? Yes or no? No. I'm on my second hitch. Let's get to the flat. That's closed. Let's get to the check down. So, it just simplifies everything if you think about it. Like when you're thinking spots as opposed to, I have to yeah. beat this coverage and beat, you know, know exactly what's happening. So, yeah, I love that insight by him. And, uh, you know, good luck to him. And hopefully that just absolutely murders. And I think it will. So, good. Yeah, no, he's he's going to be great. All right. Uh, big story for the commanders this week. Obviously, the ongoing uh, in slow motion, hopefully speeding up soon. Sale, there's a chance that it gets done next week in Minneapolis. I think at this point, it's unlikely, much more likely to be, you know, a month or two down the road until the full thing gets finalized. But we now have an idea, thanks to a leaked document to ESPN about what the Harris group sees and what they see is a whole lot of money uh, as soon as Dan Snyder is no longer in charge of the team. Some interesting quotes, by the way, from Jason Wright in that story as well. It's like, Dan knows that this, like the Snyders aren't stupid. They know as soon as they're gone, there's going to be more money for the team um, because of everything that they've done and, and all the investigations and all the things they're alleged to have done over the years. When the, the clouds lift, there's going to be a financial windfall. But seeing the actual numbers as well as some of the timelines around a stadium were super, super fascinating. And we got that thanks to this leaked prospectus to ESPN.com. The story is written by Seth Wickershan of ESPN, the magazine and our good friend, John Kime. John joined me on Tuesday on the Hoffman show on the radio. And we thought rather than rehashing some of that for the podcast, what better than to hear from the original source? So here's my chat with John from the radio show. And that'll be this week's edition of Take Me. To be honest, when we came up with the idea for this segment, it was for days like this. Our guy, John Kime, Cakes, my good buddy, 
joins us to talk about the story he co-wrote with Seth Wickersham on ESPN.com. A leaked prospectus from the Harris Group that shows the potential for a financial windfall when they take over simply by removing Dan Snyder. John, I think this is your first time live on the show. Welcome. Oh, well, good. Where, where, are, the, where are the trumpets celebrating that? Anthony, where are the trumpets? <laughs> Did you forget the trumpets? Uh, Anthony left his trumpet at home. What a shame. Okay. What a okay. shame. Um, so I know you can't give up sources and methods, if you will, but when you all of a sudden you find yourself staring at this document, like what's going through your head once you see, you know, one, like, oh, my God, I have this. And you, obviously you're working on that with, <laughs> with Seth, but also like seeing some of the numbers. What are some of the things that stood out to you? Well, yeah, and it, for me, it's it, looking at the numbers. And first of all, like the Harris Group pr- prepares, my understanding is that they typically prepare a prospectus when you're looking for limited partners to invest because they come from the private equity firm world and it's what they would do and they take over corporations or whatever and it's what they've done in the past part of what makes this interesting is that you may be looking at more people needing to do this to buy into the nfl because the price of where it's going so we'll start there but as far as like the numbers that jump out is as much the the tumble in terms of attendance and revenue, the local revenue, how much did it fall in? And then obviously their projections are going to be their projections, but they're pretty rosy. And I don't know that a lot of people would disagree with where they could go and, and the impact when they eventually open a new stadium as well. So, you know, I think, like I said, I, so the big numbers to me, the, the tumble, like it's been like, I would say in the last 10 years, it's like a 50% drop the local revenue, and I think they're they projected to go up by about fifty percent over the like the next seven years or so. Yeah, that was one thing that stuck out to me, John, is the stadium information. The first was that they, right. you know, there is a chance to rename FedEx Field. And I just yeah, wanted that's to the other one. Yeah, yeah, so I just wanted to uh, kind of a point of clarification <laughs> on the way the stir- the story was worded. It says with a change of ownership that there's a, a right to change. Is that something that FedEx Correct. would have to do, or is that something that the Harris Group could well, say, "Hey, FedEx- we're in charge now." Yeah, that uh, I, my understanding is that, that that FedEx could out, could get out of it if there's a change in ownership, and they it, it believe they've been trying to get out of that. So I I think that would that's where it would be. But yes, they can then change it. And then you know, right now FedEx is um, it's seven point four five or I think seven point six. Seven point six. Thank you. All right, I have a lot of numbers in my head right now. So <laughs> I, I luckily enough have them on a computer screen yeah. in front of me. So right, and so the projection could be as much as thirty per year, they believe, and so that's obviously a sizable difference. And that's that's why when you're looking at a return on investment, those are some of the things you're going to try and do right away. And then you brought up the stadium. I think that was the other thing that jumped out to me was their projection for revenue from the stadium doesn't begin until 2031. Now, that's noteworthy. Now, I will say this. That's a conservative timetable by them. And, that, you know, they did even note on there that it could be earlier. So, it's to me, that's like probably the, the latest they would look at it opening. But that's, all, that's noteworthy because here they've been looking at 2027, 2028, you know, thinking that once you get your place, you can break ground in its five years. They're looking at it at at longer than that, and part of it is because I think they want to absolutely do their due diligence on it and not rush into a situation. So, you know, it could be another year or so before they really find the place they want. I don't know, but it could be. And then it's like, then how long does it take once you break ground, and what are you doing with it, how, et cetera. And I know um, Seth had talked to some people who believe it may even take longer than that. Um, based on some other stadiums that have been built over the last several years. Right. John Kime, ESPN.com with us. And so that that is the kind of the interesting thing, right? In the prospectus, it says this is kind of a conservative estimate. It could happen right. sooner. And then Seth talks to some folks, uh, as you just said, that say not the way stadiums are going now. This could take even <laughs> longer. And I think part of that is going to obviously depend on how much work has been done already, how much behind the scenes right. has 
whether it's Harris, Rails, Magic, you know, Magic obviously uh, talked to Wes Moore at some point recently. Um, you know, there's these numbers from the state of Virginia, so you'd have to think there's been some conversations with the Commonwealth on potential there. What sense do you have on how much work has already been done so they can hit the ground running fairly immediately on that, not just in terms of where the location is, but what they want to build? Because they have to decide, is it just a stadium? Is it stadium and practice facility, et cetera, yeah. et cetera? Well, and I think if I had to guess right now, the practice facility would probably be separate from where the building is, depending on, I could see a scenario where they have a stadium, whether it's in FedEx, you know, where it is now, or even in the district, but the practice facility remains in Virginia. That is a definite scenario. But I think, you know, until they're on board, we don't really know what their vision is. I know this isn't talking to some people who are, you know, who've been involved in this process, um, and um, but as far as the stadium goes, like what what it would entail, it's it's hard to really know. I know. Listen, you're not entering into a situation like this without having some level of of um, input being made or or um, information being sought, right? And there are clearly people here who are who have been working on the stadium, Joe Maloney and Jason Wright, for a, for a while. And so their information will help without a doubt, but you know, you're still going to have to go through and meet and feel comfortable with what, you know, meaning Josh Harris and whomever else is involved there. So while there would be information already known, and I think perhaps like the locales, Virginia, Maryland, DC could start getting their situations more clear as to what they would offer or what incentives or inducements, whatever. And, you know, I think that stuff is already being done. So that will help. But these guys still have to go through the process. And, and it, it's a, it is a top, top priority for them. And I think that's why it's funny because I was talking to somebody earlier on Harris side and bringing up the 2031 estimate. It's like to me, it, it, when a lot, there have been people still here thinking maybe 2028, it does suggest that they want to take a patient approach to get it right. Uh, so you have been going to work in various commanders, uh, Washington football, et cetera, uh, locales for the past 25 years. And I, I think one of the interesting things uh, in the story that I will tie back to you going to work there, uh, you know, every day during the season for the last 25 years in a moment is when Harris took over the Sixers uh, in your, your story, it says that they did about $88 million worth of upgrades on all kinds of different things. A lot of that right. at the practice facility, as you've watched that building in Ashburn evolve over that time that you've been going there and seen it through different coaches, GMs. Now you'll be on your third owner here like what are some of the things that you think they can do and should do immediately versus things that they might wait on to ultimately get a new facility for the players to, to call home every day well uh, here's what i would say craig i think if they come in and say like the facility the practice facility will be separate you can work on that right away so i would invest the time and energy into doing that finding because it's going to be a lot easier to find a location and then the area to to build with that so you could do that a lot sooner than you could a new stadium. It doesn't necessarily have to be tied into um, the stadium and the, and the facility going to open in 2031. If you know where it's going to be built or if you know that, listen, regardless of where the stadium is going to be built, this is where the practice facility will be, built, will be built, I would invest the money there. Now, there's clearly some things that you could do in the, you know, in the facility that they, you know, they, that they have done over the years. With the, the field was a big one a few years ago. They have upgraded some of the kitchen, you know, the, the cafeteria and all that. But I think there's always more you could probably do in terms of like maybe maybe um, I know there was a there's a desire to update some of the technology there or, and maybe make it a little bit more state of the art if you can. But if you know you're going to move out soon, I don't know that you're going to see a great deal of investment because it would be it'll be you can build that again a lot quicker than you could a new stadium. And so to maximize your investment, you may want to do that. But again, that's something that it's hard to say until they're voted in and they can talk publicly about those plans. It's just kind of conjecture or speculation.
Right. John Kime, ESPN.com with us. Do you think, John, this is the hard-hitting journalism that we do on this show, the turf field with the, all the deer poop, can that finally go at least? I think that thing's going to last until the bitter end. It's amazing it's, for people who have been out there. Why? Well, now, because, well, for here, you know what? I mean, I don't know. but they. <laughs> I they don't know don't, is the correct answer. There's no good reason. Well, the reason why you don't do it now is because the, the cost involved. Mm-hmm. And they don't use it. And they have three fields there. And the, they've updated the other fields. with the, They installed new turf. And the, they, have, they improved the drainage. They didn't, Craig, they didn't have, like, the drainage system out there was really bad. Oh, yeah. And in fact, it didn't drain. So you go out, there would be times, there were times where literally there'd be like a foot of water, you know, there'd be, it'd be covered in water. And that was years ago, right? But that's something that I think you can, you know, the, over the last couple of years, they definitely improved that. But with that turf field, now it just seems to be a place where when you have groups out there, that's where you're going to put the tents. And, um, but it is not, it is not, it is not one that you want to run around a lot on. No. Uh, what lasts longer, your career covering the Commanders, the turf field, or Keith Richards? Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> Keith Richards will outlast everybody. Um, yeah. That's that's the correct like, answer. That's 100%. Yeah, yeah. Robin Williams had a great— They should almost—whatever they do with that facility, and, you know, once, you know, assuming they sell it, let's say they sell it, whoever buys it needs to somehow preserve that turf field and just hold the vents on it once in a while. Just put the put the team Hall of Fame there or something. Um, something. Robin Williams had a great bit in one of his stand-up specials about how Keith Richards is going to be the last human being on Earth after a nuclear apocalypse with a bunch of cockroaches just looking at him going, yes. hey, you know, I smoked your uncle. I, when you said, when you met him, the first thing I thought of was, it's like a cockroach. You can't, they're just going to be here forever. Not that he's a cockroach, but like it's the yeah. same, same kind of thing. So, yes, I... I think I think he will. Um, yeah, Keith Richards is the correct answer. Career. Uh, John yeah. Kime, ESPN.com, with us here on the Hoffman Show. Okay, let's uh, let's do the thing that everybody cares about the most uh, on the football side of this. Now that we have a little bit better idea of a timeline, we still don't know for sure. This thing could get done in Minneapolis, uh, unlikely to get fully done unlikely. there, but it's possible, I guess. And then sometime, like you know, kind of ninety day ish window where this thing probably gets done. Like what? Right. What is on hold right now for Ron Rivera and the football side, and what things can proceed? Um, well, one of the things on hold would be the naming of the offensive line coach. So, eventually, it'll be Travell Wharton, but that's something they want to get approved. That would be an ownership approval thing, and so they're waiting for that to get there. So there's some coaching staff maneuvering. The staff is in place. But it's just more getting the titles, et cetera. That's on hold. <laughs> You're not going to suddenly extend, I don't think, a Montez Sweater Camp Curl right now until you get some probably some clarity and direction from a new owner. But that, you know, that's just that's me just saying that it makes sense versus hearing it directly from them, right? So, but that would make sense that it would be hard. Like if you're going to do a deal with Montez Sweat and you're going to have to, you know, give a lot of guaranteed money or, or whomever, and whether it's him or Cam, uh, you're, you're going to want, you're not going to want to do that without a new owner's approval, at least to say, okay, that yes, go ahead and do it. Right. And, you know, doesn't mean the guy has to say, well, wait a minute, I don't like how Montez rushes the passer. He needs to develop this. Move. He's not going to do that, but you do, you know, it is a lot of money. So you do want to make sure that they understand why you're doing it. And I, you know, so at this point, there's no rush because whatever, if you can be talking to Montez Sweat's side, for example, and understand and get an idea of what both sides can do or are willing to do. And then when the time comes, you can go to a Josh Harris and say, this, this is what we want to do. do. Is that okay? So along those lines, like, as you said, Harris, I don't think is going to come in with strong opinions on pass rush styles. Um, But it's very clear from this prospectus that you and Seth reported on today that they have a very clear vision of where they can take the business, certain opportunities. Like they, they have a clear understanding of a lot of stuff. 
How much Correct. do you think that they know on the football side? Because they'd be doing it from the outside. As far as we know, Ron Rivera, outside of maybe a quick hello, has not spoken to Josh Harris. There certainly hasn't been like a large debriefing <laughs> at this point on the direction of the football operation, what has done and what is planned on being done should Rivera stay. So what kind of understanding do you think this group has of the football operation and thus how long will they be evaluating before they make any kind of move, big or small? <laughs> That, that's a good question. It's hard for me to say how much, like w- what I would say is from what I've heard for a while is they're going to take the year to evaluate they're, I don't think they're going to come in and make any sort of rash move. So what I'm sure that they, you know, if you're doing this, you're going to be talking to people about what this what someone else feels the situation is like. But I think if you're also a savvy businessman, then you're going to come in and see what, what your experience is with them. And so that has always been my understanding of what will happen, whether it's the football side or the business side. And keep in mind, too, again, if it doesn't happen until, let's say, July, well, you can't come in then and change things. You just, it just, it's, it's not a good time to do that. And so, like, you, they're going to get the season to evaluate. So whatever they have, whatever preconceived ideas or notions, it'll be confirmed or debunked over the course of a year. So – this group, whatever they think, this group will get a chance to prove that they should stay or go. Yeah, um, the timing of that dictates, which, by the way, is, you know, that's a whole separate rant that I've done on the show of the NFL dragging its feet throughout this whole thing kind of costs the commanders this offseason. But at the end of the day, we are where we are. Yeah, and I don't know what they could have done differently. Like, you're, you weren't going to get a sale like this in February. Sure. I I just meant like when when all of this stuff came out or even at the Wilkinson report, which obviously was very bad, even though it got buried, like they gave him the largest fine in the history of the league. There was clearly a lot there. Like, could you have forced a sale if the owners had the uh, the the chutzpah to actually vote him out? This could have been done a long time ago versus they were never going to do it over that investigation. Yeah, that's so it's what you always have to do with the owners is you it's the pocketbook. And, right. you know, it, it may not be the, the what people want to hear, but it's it's also the truth. Sure. So they weren't, and, they yeah. weren't ready to vote them out at that time. I I understand all that. That doesn't make any of it right. I'm not saying you you are saying no. that it does um, just, you know, that was the opportunity and the opportunity cost from the football side is ultimately this has drawn out into now yet another full off season where the commanders have had you know, January through, I mean, really November when he announced the sale and kind of went to London and never came back through now where the, the, you know, Ron Rivera and company have been operating without an owner uh, and just had to kind of do their best, the best that they can. Um, Last thing I want to ask you, John, I know you're a huge NBA guy. Obviously we had so many basketball conversations out in the, the media annex over the years. Sixers just wrapped their season. The devils had a very successful season. How much do you take out of this, this Harris Blitzer groups, other sports and, and how they'll approach this or is the NFL wholly unique? And you think they'll just, they'll operate in a different way than they have in the NBA and the NHL. I don't know that they'll operate differently, but I don't know that, you know, I think, I don't think approach changes, but I do think you have to be cognizant of the league that you're in. And the NFL is unique and it is, it's more powerful. It's more, um, it's just more, it's, you know, there's more exposure, there's more attention paid to it. So you do have to understand that. And it's also the, as you know, these organizations are put together differently in the NBA. You need those superstars. You know, you, there are certain things that you have to do to get the Joel Embiid's or guys like that, because that's how you ultimately build a top contender in the NFL. There's just, you know, it's, it's really about putting together. I mean, there's just, there's obviously more players and the quarterback's a huge deal. Um, But it's, it's, you know, it's, you have to construct it differently and take the different things into consideration. Right. And so, but I don't think approach will, I don't think their approach will change. Um, You know, I think the approach should be in is you hire the right people and you let them do their jobs. That seems to be based on the people I've talked to, what they have done in Philly and New Jersey for the most part. Like, I don't think you're going to have Josh Harris in there telling people to change a draft grade on a quarterback, for example, that never happened, John. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think you're going to have that. So I think, so I think like that, that's the approach that you take now you're, and I, but I also think 
one of the things that you have to do here is make sure you have people who understand and know the NFL and, 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 can understand the rhythms of the season. What if you're if you're on the marketing side, what you're asking players to do and when and why why it might not be a good time to ask that, for example. So little things like that, just understanding the rhythms of it. But that's also like I said, you know, so the NBA will be different than the NFL, different than the NHL. But I don't think your approach as an owner will change. Like one of the things um uh <clears throat> David Elfin had written a story for Bethesda magazine i think it was years ago where he had talked to mark ein and and josh harris and one of the things harris said in there is he did believe in setting up an organization with a gm and then a coach now obviously here's the coach and then the gm does that mean he's going to come in and do that automatically i don't know but uh, you know and if it were if it's working this year then you don't but if it, but if they do want to change i think you can look at that sort of a structure right so, you know, I think, but again, I think the structure and the approach, the way you approach it, I don't think will change, but you do have to adapt and understand that the NFL is different than the NBA and is different than the NHL. No, a hundred percent. Also, I have, I have had lots of chuckles over the last couple of days as Philly uh, fans and people who just hate the Sixers because of the process have freaked out because they have won 50 games four times in the last six years and then flamed out in the second round in most of those years. If the Commanders win 12 games four of the next six years uh, at any point in the next decade or four of six and and then just, oh, my God, they, they lose in the second round of the playoffs, do you realize how happy this fan base would be? John, how happy you would be covering that many playoff games? Yeah, no, it, <laughs> it would certainly be different. Craig, I have never covered a team that has won 11 games in a season, in the regular season. I've covered this team since 1994. Wow. That's, that says quite a bit. And so, yeah, and I, now it's all perspective, right? I mean, I've talk, I, I would talk to fans on the road last year, and I'd be like, I just want to win. I just want to see them win a playoff game. That's it. And, um, you know, the, but once you do that, what's next? Like I'm, I'm, I'm a Cavs fan. Was this year good enough? Maybe, but it won't be next year. Right. You know, like, and you can say, like, well, you know, just look at how bad it was. Yeah, it was bad, but now the expectations have gone up. However, I think what here's, I think what, I think what's. Oh no! Did John's phone? John's phone. Oh no, John! I think we got you now. Nope. Nope. Sorry, yes, you oh, got me. There yeah. we go. Now we got you. Yeah, sorry. So I, I would say I think the bar is kind of low. It's don't get into, don't be investigated. You know, build a good product that fans can take pride in again. And for a long time, as you know, they haven't been winning, and they haven't been able to take. And fans can't take pride in being fans of this franchise. And so that's what I think has to take place. And that's I, I do listen. I definitely, definitely get the sense from dealing with people in this group that they understand where this fan base is at and what the things that they want to do to invest in that. And um, I know some fans are going to say name that's not on the top of the list, but a (laughs) lot, but, but I think what they understand more than anything is the need, what they have to do is build something good. And if you don't, it's it's not going to matter. Yeah, the, honey, if, the honeymoon will if end. If they do, right, if they do, then that's what matters most. And for some people, they may not come back because they just got tired or whatever. But they also have to focus on also also building up a new generation of, of fans. Yeah. And so like that's where if you can build a winning team and build, create some excitement here. And, like, I don't think it would be that hard. Craig, like, there – People here know, and the organization now know, this city was ready to embrace them again going into before that Giants game in December. And then they lost. And then they lost. And like, but they were ready to embrace them. So these people are ready to jump. They, you know, my sense, talk to every fan, and certainly fans are going to have different perspectives. But I do think, like, if you can build it right and you know, and Dan Snyder's out because we know for a lot of people that was a number one thing for them that people will will hop back on. I just don't. I don't think that the love for football here is gone. I think it was just a 
hellacious wearing out and exhaustion of losing, of issues, of losing, of issues. And then, and then I also think, Craig, too, a lot, some of it was you'd have these hopes that would extinguish pretty quick. RG3, going to be here for 10 years, making magic, and then it's one year, and then that's it. You know, um, Scott McClellan comes here, and then that was a problem, right? You know, Kirk Cousins does well, but then he leaves because the contract never was going to match up with where each side was at. So, like, you know what I mean? So, like, one thing after another, and then it's, like, enough. And then the investigations, right? So, avoid those, build a winner, and people will be back. No doubt, and I think something that's pointed out in the prospectus and some other numbers, Evan Novi williams our, our buddy from Sportico, uh, had a great chart the other day. Like, it wasn't really till Kirk left, and there's obviously other stuff that was happening. McLuhan, you know, kind of at the same time. That was when the revenue fell off. So it's, it's not right. that long ago that people were no. still willing to give it a shot. Correct. Listen, it was – and it was – the funny thing is, like, that was the year where I think people just got tired of, like, you know, that whole discussion with Kirk but which followed the, the downfall of RG3. And it was, and I, so I think people got worn out, but yes, you're right. It was, and, and if, and if Alex Smith doesn't get hurt, Craig, yep. who knows, like, does this really go down? And I've talked, like, I know people here think like, if, if Alex Smith doesn't get hurt, this group isn't even here. Maybe. You know, I mean, in coaching staff, yeah. and we don't know, but like, the point is they felt like, you know, he was a good professional quarterback. And, and you could win 10 games with him and, and then go out and win a playoff game or two, right? So, like, you, you're right. I mean, it's not a long, long time ago. And, I, I, I mean, if I, if I had been – if you're a fan of this franchise, how are you not worn down? I mean, I give, a, I give people here a lot of credit for sticking it out because it's just – it's not just – I mean, we've all rooted for losing teams. I grew up in Cleveland. I've rooted for a lot of losing teams. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, but – you know, but it's the all the other stuff, and it's just, you know, you you want to at least like the Indians would be bad, but you knew the organization was good, and they're going to build something because you had you had trust in that, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know, and so, but did you have that here? I don't think like, and I remember like the word trust I would use a lot. Like they have to rebuild the trust, and so for the Harris Group, one of the things with top priorities is rebuilding that trust, and how do you go about doing that? And a lot of it is by your dealings with the public, with the suites. Um, and, and again, don't, don't embarrass the franchise. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, week one this year, uh, hands in. All right, John Kimes covered this team since 1994. He's never covered an 11-win uh, team. Cakes on three, one, two, three cakes. I think that's the rallying cry. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, all right, I think you have to go, sir. Uh, you had something to yeah. do. Uh, I've taken far more of your time than I anticipated, but it is always good chatting with you, uh, and hope to, hopefully we can have you again uh, back soon on the radio. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for watching this clip of Take Command. First, why don't you why don't you like it? It lets other people know that it was good, and then they should watch it too. And Logan, we have a new exclusive home for full episodes. We do. 1067 The Fans YouTube page. Go check it out and please subscribe. Yeah, do do what Logan said. Do He's it. Very, very smart. <laughs>